Good morning, church. Go ahead and stand with us. It's good to see you this morning. Let's worship together. You pulled me from darkness. You pulled me from darkness. You clothed me in garments of praise. Jesus forever. My song will be you. I'm living in freedom. You've taken my burdens away. Jesus forever. My song will be only for you. For the cross that you bore and the debt that you paid. For the victory you won over death and the grave This is the reason I sing For the hope that you get And the joy that you bring For the promise that heaven is waiting for me This is the reason I sing
darkness. Man, churches, we worship this morning. Let's not forget that we were all once in darkness. We had no hope. We were lost in sin and death. 
without the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so we're going to continue to worship, but don't just sing words that appear on a screen. Man, take time this morning. Now that we're here in this room together and we're settled, take time to just reflect. Um, man, it's okay to admit that that you know we fail and that we're we're not we're not righteous on our own. Man, Christ Himself said He came for the sick and He came for the sinners and the tax collectors and the liars and the prostitutes and the the righteous don't need a doctor, but it's 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 us, it's sinners. So. So don't be afraid to just be humble before God this morning and, and admit, man, we, we need him and we need his grace. So this next song is called Our Great God.
church family. My name is Donnie. Obviously, for most of you I know, for the few I don't, I serve as the missions outreach director here for Central, and I'm not going to have you stand, but um, go ahead and have a seat, actually. Um, Thank you, uh, worship team. Let's give them a hand this morning. Well, I want to share a few announcements with you. Um, I know you guys probably think I'm about to preach right now, and that's why Darren is still sitting over there. So um, first off, our congregational annual finance meeting will be coming up next Sunday, and Neil Haig and his finance team um, works really hard behind the scenes to make this um, come about for all of us. And so we want to encourage you guys to come and join us and just be a part of that. It's a great opportunity for you to hear where the church has been, where the church is currently at, and where we're seeking to go. Um, It's a good way for you to learn about where your tithing is going to. Um, We are open about those things, and we want to continue to be open about that. So we encourage you to come and be a part of that that evening. Also, um, for the rest of this month and early September, we will not be having any Wednesday night youth. It's an opportunity to give our staff and volunteers a time of rest um, so that they can come back and uh, be prepared to minister to your students. And so again, uh, they will start back up September 13th. Uh, again, September 13th will be when the youth will come back together and from this point uh, on, they will be taking a break. Uh, lastly, tonight is our night of worship and We are getting ready to head back to school. We're kicking our kids out. Um, We're getting them to school early and we're super excited. uh, But before that, we wanna get them together and pray. Um, We wanna pray not only for our students, we wanna pray for the teachers, we wanna pray for uh, the staff. Um, We have a ton of staff who have already been praying for your students here. And not only the students who go here, but we wanna pray for the students who may be in the public schools and other surrounding school districts. We come together and pray, and so we are a praying church, amen? We are a praying church, amen? Amen. And so let's come together tonight. Uh, Ryan and his team will be leading that, and we will look forward to seeing you all there. And I remember everybody who's here this morning, and so if you don't show up tonight, we'll email you. Um, Shelly was going to come up and read uh, the word, so I'm going to ask you guys all to stand back up again for me. And uh, Shelly, I'll let you take it away. Good morning, church family. The word of the Lord, Revelation 22. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will not need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Shelley. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, this, this series, this season that we've had to be able to look at uh, uh, these 22 chapters given to us um, through your servant John, uh, by your, your angels and just the visions that you've given to him, we know that they are uh, for your church, they're for us, they're for um, our, our blessing, they're for our correction, they're for our, our, our training into righteousness to see these things. And so as we wrap these things up and we get a picture of, of what is in store for us, Lord, I just pray that, um, Lord, you would help our eyes to turn away from this world to the one to come. Uh, Father, you would help our eyes to turn away from all of the salvations that this world might promise to the only one who can give salvation, um, your son, uh, Jesus. Father, we pray that 
Lord, our hearts would be stirred to be reminded that as this text has said, Jesus is coming quickly. And there is still much to be done. There's still work for us to participate in. And there's still a calling which you have brought us into. And so, Lord, as we look at this text, I pray, Lord, that you would please grant um, me uh, just the words to speak, that it would do justice to what it is that you have for your people. Uh, Father, that we would, uh, by your Spirit, be conformed more into the likeness of Jesus as a result of what we see and what we hear um, in this vision that you've given to us. And so, Lord, please be with us, guide us, lead us into truth. Um, we pray and ask all these things in your name. Amen. So as I just said, like we're Revelation chapter 22. It seems crazy that we're in Revelation chapter 22. Um, at least for us as staff, we've been in Revelation since like August of last year. So the thought that we're almost out of Revelation just feels like um, a, a big change for us, um, but something we're super excited for. But we still have this week and then next week in Revelation. So I want to encourage you to come back again next week because we've got a little bit more we want to touch base on uh, as we look at the book of Revelation. But we're really getting this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 of the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope of our inheritance, that which is coming for us in the future. And as I thought about this and I thought about um, what to communicate and what ultimately I believe that the Lord is communicating through Revelation chapter 22, um, he, he gave me this image uh, of um, something that is a little of an odd image for me um, because I'm not a very craftsman type of individual. Um, and, and so here, here's what I mean by that. Um, you know that person who can take like a block of wood and turn it into something like immaculate and beautiful. Um, I, I thought of um, the Yoder Furniture Company. You guys know about the Yoder Furniture Company? Um, they're a group of men and women who make the most beautiful and immaculate like pieces of furniture and tables and chairs, uh, hand-carved, handmade. I mean, just these beautiful pieces of furniture. And I was thinking about uh, this idea that I don't fully understand myself because I'm not a craftsman type of person, but I imagine that when one of those guys or gals looks at a, a tree or this big chunk of wood or whatever it is that they're going to make, that they have a vision and an intent for what they want to see made and what that thing is ultimately purposed for. And, and so I imagine that, uh, think of something like a dining room table, that is they're hand carving and hand making a dining room table, they have in their minds the vision that that's going to be in somebody's home. It's going to be the centerpiece of somebody's home. That, that that's going to be the place where you're going to gather family and friends around. They're going to play board games around. They're going to read books together at that table and, and, and live life together around that table. And that'll be a part of their family. It's the table you put the Thanksgiving turkey on. And maybe it's the table that you hand down from generation to generation. And you think, man, like my great grandma sat at this table. And that they have this intent behind what it is that they're making. And, and as I think about that, I imagine what that person would feel. And again, I, I can only imagine because I've never been here. I imagine what that person would feel if they make that table and they sell it to someone and they have the hopes for it to kind of meet its intention. But then one day they're, they're driving in a neighborhood and they see this beautiful piece of craftsmanship that they've made with all that intent sitting in someone's garage as a workbench, right? Like, and they're cutting wood on it, and they're scarring it, and they're staining things, and, and doing all kinds of things to it. Like, I imagine that person would be like, 
no, that's not what I made that for. Like, you're abusing the thing that I made. And they might want to go to that person and be like, let me buy that back. Let me buy it back so that I can um, refinish it, remake it so that it would become and actually meet its purpose, its intended design, right? Yeah, I don't know if that's ever happened. I don't know. I just imagine if you put that much work into something that to see it being abused in such a way would be hard for you to engage. But, but here's why I say that. Is because I believe that in a lot of ways, what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is a little bit of that, thing, that work and heart of God. Because he created all of this, didn't he? Like he, he created um, the whole world, the whole universe, the sun, the stars, the moon, like everything. And he put us as his image bearers onto this planet for a purpose and for an intent and for a reason. And you know this story, and I'm not going to belabor it, but I think it's important we start here and, and we remind ourselves what God's intent was, specifically how his intent was for you and for me. And we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. This is what he said to Adam and Eve, to the people that he put into the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He says to us, he says, be fruitful. Go out, make, work into creation, make things, shape things. Take that which I've given to you and turn it into something else. Like, like, take all of the chaos that's out into that world, all of the wildness that's in that world, and you go bear my image by being fruitful in that. So, so you go and you take all the herbs and spices that I've put into this creation, and, and you bring that together to make a wonderful meal to feed to your family. You go and you take that tree that stands in that field and you go and create and make and make a, a table or a chair and you use that and you be fruitful in your work. You take all of the sounds in this world and you put them together in order and rhythm and you create and make music. Like This is what God's intent. Like, go be fruitful. I've given you this beautiful palette. You artists, my wife knows what that means, right? You get a beautiful palette of colors. It's like, man, you go be fruitful. But he doesn't just say that. He says in the midst of that, you also go multiply, increase, develop families, societies, and culture. Fill all of this earth with his image. Remember, we were his image bearers. That was his intent, that we would, we would go into every corner and crevice and place of this world and that we would fill it, that we would multiply as we do so, and that we would then subdue it. You think about what subduing is. Like the creation wasn't beautiful rows of corn. It was a field that needed to be subdued. And in that beauty, God wanted us to go and subdue creation and to make something out of it, to see it be beautiful. And I say all of this because we all know, at least I hope we know, that something drastic happened after he created all of it and after he put his image bearers into the garden, were they faithful to do these things? No. They weren't. They rebelled against their creator. They rebelled against the purpose that he had for their lives and in that brought all kinds of sin and tainting and corruption into the world that he made. In fact, I just want you to consider that all of that unlimited potential 
for good that God made in this creation and in his people, all of that unlimited potential for good has now becomes unlimited potential for evil and rebellion and wickedness. That's why we see God hinder and restrict the ability of Adam and Eve to go to the, char- to the Garden of Eden and drink or eat from the tree of life so that they would not be able to live these eternal lives where they just pursue evil and the wickedness of their hearts. That's what's happening in the Garden of Eden. Now let me ask a question, and it's an important one for us as we consider what God is doing in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and it's this, has God's intention for creation changed? Did it suddenly just disappear because, because sin came into the world? Was God like, okay, great, like, uh, I'm going to change it? Here's the answer. No. God's intention remains. God's intention still exists for what he wanted his perfect creation and his image bearers to do in that perfect creation. And what we've seen throughout this entire text that he's given to us, all of his revelation, now culminating in Revelation chapter 22, is God buying back, redeeming, purchasing back that creation to restore it to its intended purpose. Like, the, like it, it breaks his heart, I imagine, to see his creation being so tainted and so corrupted from what he intended it to be. This is what Revelation 21 and 22 is. It's this idea of us being taken back and bringing us back to ultimately, first and foremost, our unlimited potential for good. Unlimited potential for good. Revelation 22 and 1 through 2 says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So here we see a return all the way back to Genesis. And now God is saying, I'm going to establish the tree of life. And this tree is never going to stop bearing fruit. Like there's going to be 12 different kinds of fruit for every single month. So there's never a season in which you say, oh man, I can't get fruit from the tree of life. We will always have access to that. Why would God allow us access to that? Well, it's found in this statement where he says that we will see the healing of the nations. He's healing. He's restoring. He's bringing us back to his intended purpose and goal for when he made Adam and Eve so many thousands of years ago. Like that's what he's that's what he's accomplished in Revelation 22 verses 1 and 2. It's done. It's been restored. This is our hope. This is where we will begin to be at. Now, here's the thing. It's interesting for us. As you think about the Old Testament and you think about the things that have happened, we've seen man's potential for evil, haven't we? Like, left to ourselves, we just spiral into more and more and more and more wickedness and evil and brokenness and destruction and rebellion. Anybody remember the story of the Tower of Babel? This is right off the bat. This is just a few years after the Garden of Eden, and, and people on the planet at that time, they said, no, no, you said 
God, you told us to go out and to multiply and to subdue and to fill the earth. We're not going to do that. We're going to gather together. We're going to build monuments to ourselves. We're going to see all that we can do. We're going to rebel against your basic command. And you remember what God did to them? Like he says, I'm going to confuse your languages. But, but why is a fascinating reason. Look at what he says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. This is why God confuses the languages of the people at the Tower of Babel. Behold, they're one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do or purpose to do will be impossible for them. God's not saying he's afraid of people becoming like him. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying in the statement, he sees that left to themselves, when they gather together, we have unlimited potential for wickedness and evil. And he's saying, I'm not going to let this world be destroyed in that sense, in that way. And so he breaks us, he sends us apart. Now here's the part that I, I, I love about this text. I was reading it. And I was reading it in light of chapter 22 of Revelation. And so imagine what happens. God breaks all this, the nations apart, scatters people so that they can't have such unlimited potential for good. We go through all the Old Testament. Jesus comes. He dies on the cross. And let me, let me ask a question. What is it that Jesus does and is doing by dying on the cross and saving people? He's gathering a people. One people a people of his possession, a new people, a new kingdom, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of sons and daughters of God. Like Jesus now is gathering a people. In the Tower of Babel, he scatters a people. Now he's gathering a people. And our hope is, is that we're going to be gathered as one people and put back into a new creation. Imagine what we will do as this new people. Just think about that. Imagine what we will do as this new people. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. But it won't be for evil. It will be for good and the glory of God. This is, this is God reversing all of this and, and, and bringing us back to the unlimited ultimate potential that he intended for every single one of us. But it doesn't stop there. He not only brings us back to that space, but he also brings us back to the most foundational space, which is this. He brings us back to real, true worship. Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. We're going to come back to that statement. So don't miss that. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will do what? You can talk back to me. It's okay. They will do what? They'll worship him. It's important for us to understand, when we say things like worship, when we use that term, for most often when we say, well, we're going to worship, we think of singing songs. Like, and that's good. That's part of worship. It's certainly a component of worship. That's an aspect of worship. But that's not the intended meaning wholly in this statement. It's absolutely part of it. 
But the idea of worship in the 20th century, this idea of, of going to a building with a bunch of people and singing songs as worship is a very short-sighted, very incomplete vision of what is being referred to here in Revelation 22. Worship is never intended to originate or end in a building. Never. It is something to be lived out in our lives. To be lived out in every part of our lives. Worship is serving God in the subduing and the ruling and the creating, the society making, even the fruitful working of your and my day-to-day life. That's worship. Do we sing songs as part of it? Absolutely. Is that it? No. Worship is every moment of your life. It's every breath. It's everything you do. It is the making of things. It is the building of things. And here we've got this idea that we are going to be put into the new heaven and the new earth, and we will be able to be restored back to true and genuine worship, the kind of, God, the kind of lives that God intended us to live here. We're going to live in the new creation, which means this. You're going to be able to worship by building things. You're going to be able to worship by creating things. You're going to be able to worship, those of you who are musicians, by by making music. You're going to be able to worship by making food. You're going to be able to worship in the presence and fellowship of other brothers and sisters that are there with you in the new heaven and the new earth, in the way you love one another and care for one another. You're going to be able to worship, I believe, as you write books or as you create and invent new technologies and all kinds of things. Like, You can worship in all that, and we're being told we're going to be brought back to that kind of life. But here's the reality of it. This should be our idea of worship here, now. Not just something we wait for, something we live and strive for now. All of our lives for his glory. All of our work for his glory. All of your gifts for his glory. All of your talents for for his glory, all of your creativity, for his glory, everything for his glory, everything should reflect him. And this small verse tells us what, and gives us this vision of what that kind of life of worship is going to be like when it makes the statement that nothing will be accursed anymore. So here's what that means. Your worship in the new heaven and new earth, is going to be unhindered by the curse. I don't have a category to understand what this will be like. Every part of your life and my life is hindered and tainted and corrupted by the curse in Genesis chapter 1. What? 3, sorry. Like all of it is. So here's the thing. You know this, right? So go try to plant a garden in the ground of your backyard. How easy is that? Anybody tried? It's a nightmare. Like you got to dig through the clay, which is awful. You've got to amend the soil. Once you amend the soil, then you plant the seeds. Then you got to keep it from being eaten and destroyed by bugs. And then you got to try to deal with the rain that's too much rain or not enough rain, too much heat, not enough heat, early frost. Like it seems like once you plant that garden, the entire world is bent on helping you realize you're a terrible gardener, right? 
It's not just in gardening, it's in everything. Everything you do is being, the minute that you start doing it, it's already starting to break down and rot. We're fighting this all the time. In everything, from the cars we buy, to the things we make, to the pieces of art, to the pictures that we take, like all of it is in the process of fading, breaking, and rotting. Can you imagine a life in a world in which you actually are trying to meet the potentials that God has put in your life where there's no curse? I might actually like gardening. I might actually like it. Imagine that. No thorns, no rot, no decay. Like This is going to be an amazing place for us to live out our lives of worship. But it isn't even that. It doesn't stop there. Not only is it going to be unhindered by the curse, but it's going to be unhindered by our own limitations. There's a statement in this text that talks about us seeing Jesus' face, and that is not an unimportant statement. In fact, it's a deeply important statement because we see that when we see Jesus' face, we're going to be completely transformed. This is what John tells us in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Right? So there's some hope for y'all. Right? Like what you what you're going to be, like, you haven't seen that yet. Like there's still hope for you to become something different, something better. But here's what he says. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. We will be like him. This is not saying that we will become gods. But this is saying that we will be so transformed in our lives that, that what we do right now, we function in a space where we are not complete. We are not whole. We are limited. We have limited knowledge, limited time, limited wisdom. We might get 80 years, 90 years, right? Because there's a limitation on you. And it's just part of being in this world like we're going to have. You and I have limited strength, limited health. All these limits are there. But what we're going to find is that part of those limitations come because we're separated from God. Because we're not the way he intended us to be in union with him and walking with him. And that's going to be restored and we're going to see him as he is. So we're going to see our limitations kind of disappear. In the sense that, are you going to be limited by time? 90 years will seem like nothing compared to the 20 billion we get to live with him plus. Now just imagine, no limitation of time. In this world, if you're planting that garden and you run into a challenge and you don't know what to do or what to plant or what plant goes next to that plant to help keep the bugs away, all the different things that you can learn as a master gardener, if that's the type of person you are, like, like you will have access to the one who has all knowledge. You'll be able to walk in and just ask. I don't exactly know how it's going to work. I just know that it will be there. You won't be limited by your own strength because you will have access to the unlimited strength of the creator God. 
Like all our limitations are going to be removed, not because we will be made these supermen and women, but because we will be able to access the one who has everything in his hands. All the time, any time, any moment for all of eternity. But we also will not be, or we will be unhindered by any other name. Verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Having his name on our foreheads is about bearing his name above all else. Like we're stamped with his name. Realize that the whole reason sin is present is that we desire in our nature to throw off his name for the sake of our name. Like, like, like that's the base issue for sin. I don't don't want him to be Lord. I want to be Lord. I don't want his name. I want my name to be made great. I don't want his name to be made much of. I want my name to be made much of. Even for us as Christians, we love the Lord and we strive to be faithful and obedient. I think most of us try with our lives. When we fail, when we sin, let me ask, oftentimes, what's the source of that? Your way, your pleasure, your desires. You chose your ideas, not God's. You decided to love your wife the way you wanted to, not the way God told you to. You decided to treat your kids the way you wanted to, not the way God tells you to. You decided to engage the world the way you want to instead of the way God wants to. Like We want to bear our names and everything. Our selfishness, our pride is the source of sin in every category. And, and in the new heaven and new earth, The fight to die every single day to yourself will be over. His name will be stamped on your forehead. And the only name you will care about, the only name you will see, the only name that will ever matter to you from that moment forward will be his name. And you'll be able to live a free life, unhindered worship, unhindered potential, because the only name that will matter is his name. And this is going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day for the people of God. Now, as we come to the end of this series, there's a key phrase in Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, the first part of verse 6, and then verse 7. In the first part of, part of, of verse 6, he says, an angel says, these words are trustworthy and true. And I'm going to stop there. That is so important. Because here's the thing, either this is all true or we're wasting our time. This statement is declaring that this is not subjective for us to decide what's true and what's not true. This angel is saying these words are trustworthy and true. You either believe them or you don't. You give your life an all to them or you don't. You can't say, well, I'm going to believe this part and that part, but not these parts. No, it's either all trustworthy and true, or we are all hopeless. As Paul says, it were the most to be pitied if Jesus did not raise from the dead. Like, brothers and sisters, as we read and we've gone through the book of Revelation, there's a lot here that's hard. It's hard for us to deal with. It's hard for us to imagine, to see, to think about how we're going to live our lives in accordance with that. But it is all trustworthy and true. And so in this text, when Jesus says three times, I'm coming quickly, 
that is trustworthy and true. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I mean, do you really believe, and does your life show that you believe that that is trustworthy and true? Jesus, in body, in spirit, the real Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and has lived ever since on the throne, he's coming back. That is trustworthy and true. And this, this is not a claim that we cannot ignore. But then Jesus says, and Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So as we wrap up this series, as we look at this, here's the question. How do we keep this hope? Because you all are going to leave here today and go to all kinds of things you have to do. Sporting events, for goodness sake, school starting this week, that's a whole new level of chaos in most of our homes. Like uh, jobs, work, like how do you keep this hope? Well, it starts with the recognition that worship starts here. Worship starts here. We know this isn't going to be perfect. We know we're not going to be able to worship perfectly because we have all of the hindrances of the curse and we battle every single day to lay our own lives down, to seek to bear his name instead of our own. But we know in the midst of that battle, we are bearing eternal fruit. But this is our calling as God's people to worship here, now. With faithfulness, we are to forsake our way and live a new creation life today. I say this again, brothers and sisters, you have not been saved to simply wait for heaven to come. You have been saved that not only while you wait for heaven to come, you can be part of God's work in bringing heaven here now. This is the point of the kingdom, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and as it is in heaven. That prayer should define our entire lives. Why? Because we want to see the glory of Jesus here now, in this moment. In every single thing you and I do, as you walk out of this building, as you walk out of any building, is an opportunity for you to worship. Ten-year-olds, you have an opportunity to worship God in the way you play, in the way you treat other people, in the way you go back to school. College students, you have a way to worship God in the way you study, in the way you choose your career, we have opportunities to worship him in everything. The way you mow your lawn, the way you take care of your home, the way you decorate your home, the way you learn, the way you make meals, the way you spend time with your family and friends. Like we are to be seeking to be fruitful people for the sake of God and for his glory and for his name to be made great in everything we do now. Paul says this. He couldn't make it more clear in Colossians. He says, whatever you do, let me show you again. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Is this how you live your life? Is this the, 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 the principle of your life? Like, I am no longer here for myself. I am here to serve Jesus, to worship 
Jesus, as Romans puts it, to offer up my life as a living sacrifice, which is my spiritual act of worship in every single thing you do. And every time you run up against the curse in this world, we get to thank him he is coming again to take it away. But we also get to seek to bring Jesus into those spaces so that he can begin that restoring work now. Bring his kingdom and his reign in every way possible to the brokenness of the people and the circumstances that we live in and around. This is where the gospel redefines everything we do. It reorients our entire lives towards his glory. So if you're a businessman, you should seek to run your business, to build your business with justice at its core, with the love of others at its core. You make it a business that would be fit to be run in the new heaven and the new earth. Like, I don't know how you can do this, but if you're a CPA, man, you crunch those numbers here the way you would crunch those numbers in the new heavens and the new earth. Like your household, you have the opportunity to worship God by making your household look the way that your household should look in the new heaven and the new earth. Like this is your calling. This is our calling in every part of the way we live. And man, what a, what a neat way for us to give testimony to the work of God and Jesus in our lives and to show the life abundant that he offers to all of those who would die to themselves and live in accordance with the ways of Jesus. The world is dying to see something better than it offers. And there's only one place that it can find it. And he has put you and me and your families in places to be that light, to give testimony to that work of Jesus and to the hope in which you have. With this, though, with our worship for lives comes a calling to communicate our hope in all that Jesus has done. In verse 17, John hears this and he sees this. He writes this down. The spirit and the bride, that's the church, they say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I think this is a, an interesting text because on one hand, I think the church, as it looks out into the world and we see things like what's happening in Hawaii, we cry out, Jesus, come. Come quickly. Like This is suffering. This is difficult. This is hard. And we say come, but at the same exact time, we're also looking out into the world full of all kinds of people who are thirsty and hungry for something more than this world can give, and we have a responsibility to them to say, Come. You come to the one who is going to ultimately be the river of life for you. The only source of life for you. And so while we're here now, while we look to our hope, not only are we here to live lives of worship here, but we are to be people of proclamation. Proclamation of who God is and what he's done. This is part of our worship. And what's interesting this is the only part of worship that we won't be able to do in the new heaven and the new earth. And just think about that. 
Like you right now have an opportunity to participate in a work that will be finished once we hit Revelation 22. Once you get to Revelation 22, you will never again have the opportunity to open your mouth and proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ to someone who does not know him. You will never again have the opportunity to see someone who's in darkness come to light. You will never again have the opportunity to see all that is broken and in wreckage be restored by the work of Jesus Christ. Because at that moment, they won't be there anymore. This is a calling you and I have now, in this moment. This is part of our worship. If you are someone here that says, man, I want to worship Jesus by going to church on Sunday and singing songs, but, but you know what? I don't have a role in testifying to the work of Jesus Christ. You don't understand worship. And you're missing one of the points and purposes that God has for your life. But this is, this is what we're called to be. It's what we're called to be. Does it mean you have to be like Barb, who I see over here sitting, who, who's been a missionary for years? It doesn't mean you have to be like her and move away to another country, but it means that you go in to your CPA firm or to your insurance company or to your grocery store or to your barber shop. Do we still have barber shops, I guess, sort of? Like, or you go wherever that is and you proclaim Jesus because you bear his name and you are called to worship him with that proclamation. This is your calling, brothers and sisters. It's my calling. And there are millions of people out there who don't even realize that they need Jesus and you may be the only hope they have of hearing the gospel proclaimed to them. This is part of our call. And this is part of what Revelation is driving home to his people, to his servants. I'm coming quickly, quickly, so tell people to come. I'm coming quickly, so tell people to come. I'm coming quickly, so tell people to come. Come to me now while you still have a chance. Listen, this is such a wonderful opportunity for us to step into this world and bring the love of Christ. And you have a beautiful privilege to do it however the Lord has called you to do it. Foster care, mentorship, refugee ministries, helping the homeless, food distribution, asking your waitress if you can pray for them, knocking on the door of your neighbor and saying, hey, we'd love to have you over for dinner. Like there's a million different ways you can share the love of Jesus Christ. The question is, will you worship him in that way? That's what he's called us to. And so as we wrap up Revelation, I hope as a church, as a people, we hear the calling we have to worship God here and now, not to just wait until this beautiful day comes. You can begin that process today. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, as we wrap up, I just have to say, come to him. 
And here's the thing, I, I remember what it was to be like when I didn't know Christ. I remember what life was like for me. And I'll be honest, like I didn't even realize I needed him that much. I didn't really need, realize that I had that big of a problem or challenge in my life. I felt like life was pretty good in a lot of different ways. And some of y'all may be sitting in this room right now kind of feeling that. Like you feel like, like oh man, my life is pretty good. But, but here's the thing, like, um, are, are you tired of this world? I just don't understand how anybody can believe when you're really asked the question, like, are you tired of living in this world that you can't say that you're happy with the way it all is working out? If you're tired of this world and you're tired of the wreckage of relationships, the dissatisfaction you find in your life, the moving from one pleasure to the next, here's what I would say to you, come to Jesus and find rest. If you're tired of failure, come to Jesus. If you're tired of brokenness, come to Jesus. If you're tired of aimlessness, like I don't, I'll just be honest, like I don't understand if you're in this space and you don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe in God and the only thing you believe is that you're just a random lump of cells here for 15, well, 80 years, however long it is, and the whole purpose of this random bunch of cells is just to live according to your instincts and give all kinds of pleasure. Like, I don't understand how you live life. How do you wake up every morning? That is not the purpose God has for you. He has something so much better for you. So much more beautiful for you. And whether you want to admit it or not, like, he's, he's saying, like, come, find purpose in me. Find your identity in me. Find who you are in me. I'll give all that to you, and I'll give you a hope. So if you're tired of that aimlessness, you're tired of that, like, come to Jesus. If you feel confused, come to Jesus. If you're tired of fear, what's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with my health? What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen here or there? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Jesus is calling you to come home before he comes back. So this can be your hope. And so here's what I want to do. I want to close us in a time of communion. So if you've got your communion elements, go ahead and take those out. Um, if you uh, don't know what those are, you didn't pick one of those up, um, there's these little cups right here that we had. And if you didn't get one, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got a team of individuals that will um, bring those around um, and, and get one to you. But, but I want to pause here for just a second because I want to encourage you to per, kind of approach this time in different ways. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to read for you out of, a psalm, or out of a psalm that I know you're probably very familiar. And so Christians, church, brothers and sisters, those who have put your faith in Jesus the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He will make you lie down in green pastures. He will lead you beside still waters. He will restore your soul. He will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I just have to say that again. Some of you are there right now. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because you have Revelation 22 to look forward to. You will fear no evil 
for, ye, for, for he is with you. And his rod and his staff, they should comfort you. But here's the part I want to get to. God has prepared a table for us in the presence of his enemies. This table that we represent right now spits in the face of Satan. It spits in the face of all of the brokenness in this world, all of the things that have happened in this world that it was not God's intent when he created it all. It spits in the face of it all and it says, I'm preparing a table for any who would put their trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ because he is restoring all of it. In this work that we remember, the work of him dying upon the cross, he is gathering for himself a people, cultivating himself a people to worship him forever, to be with him forever. And he's, he's presented and provided this table in the midst of every single enemy you could ever imagine. And we come together in this moment this morning, like as Christians, we are going to partake of this bread and this juice in the presence of our enemies, laughing at them. Sin, you hold no victory over me because of the work of Jesus Christ. Corruption, you will not ultimately be able to corrupt me because I have already been seated with Jesus in heaven. And my hope is a new creation. Like, this is the hope we have when we come to this moment. Like, you don't have this promise because you were good enough or you were smart enough or you went to church enough or you know enough Bible verses. You have this promise because you threw all your faith into Jesus and said, I trust you for everything, your way, not my way. It is no longer I who live, it's you who lives. I will, in, I will decrease so that you will increase. I will lay my life down because you are the only one who knows how to lead me to life. That is why we have hope. And so Christian, this morning as we partake of this, I want to encourage you, take of this communion and be reminded of the table that he has already prepared and that he is preparing for you in the face of your enemies. If you don't know Jesus, as we partake in this, I want to challenge you to encourage you, to plead with you to come to Jesus. Find his hope. Walk in his hope. Rest in his hope so that you too could have a seat at this table. So that when Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, you can join the chorus of his church that says, come on, Jesus. Man, just bring it on. We can't wait. And you have no fear before the Lord. I want to ponder, I want you to ponder just the question, can you stand before the living God in your own works, what you've done? And if you come to the realization that the answer is no, this morning I would encourage you to come. So take a moment, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, I want you to just ponder the gift that we've been given of this table. Confess your sins before him. Confess the areas in which you haven't worshipped him in your life. Those times where we've let our selfishness come in. And we've sought our own name instead of his. 
Lay them down before the Lord and be reminded His blood is sufficient.